and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Jay Wilson, an actor, puppeteer, elocutionist, vaudevillian, writer, producer, and director. You may know him since you or a friend may have been on one of his Jay Walking Tours, which is a storytelling series where Jay almost literally takes you on a walk through Guelph's history. But here's the thing. We've talked about a lot of heavy stuff on the podcast this year so far, from the pandemic, sexual violence, trans health care, mental health, and reconciliation, all to name a few. So before we take a summer break, it felt like we needed to do something to safely release all that pent-up negative energy. We need a safe space, somewhere serene, where we can get back to nature. In other words, we just need someone to tell us a story. Story time is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Let's set the scene. This podcast was recorded live at Riverside Park, which is the first time in two years that an episode of this show was recorded with the two people in the same place. It's only the second time since the start of the pandemic that this has happened, so recording this episode of the podcast in person feels like some kind of statement. But the choice of location, too, is very particular. The enabling garden inside Riverside Park is often a stage for storytelling when Tea and Tales is happening in person, and Jay Wilson has often performed there, too. Tea and Tales is coming back to the garden on September 2nd, and Wilson will be there, so maybe this week's podcast might be seen as some kind of a warm-up act? But first, let's talk about Jay Wilson. According to his bio, he graduated from the Drama and Theater Arts program at the University of Waterloo before starting a long and varied career working in various aspects of live theater. He was the company manager of the National Tap Dance Company of Canada. He developed special projects for the Gravenhurst Opera House. He was the marketing and development associate for Theater Collingwood, and he operated Pandora's Socks, Puppets, and Entertainment for 10 years. Locally, he created a one-man show for the Guelph Fringe Festival in 2016. He wrote and directed Guelph and Postcards, The McRae Years, 1872-1918 for the Guelph Civic Museum in 2017, and then he founded Jaywalking in 2019. That's quite a story, and Jay is going to share it in this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. Wilson will talk about how he got into storytelling, the types of stories that he likes to tell, and how he crafts his set list depending on the audience. He will also discuss what makes a good story, what makes a bad story, and why storytelling might be a lost art despite the number of people in Guelph who are doing it. Additionally, Jay will talk about how the pandemic affected the storytelling business, his preference for being in person, and the future of jaywalking and what that's going to look like. And then finally, Jay will tell a couple of stories, something for the parents from Strickland Storm and something for the kids with Francis O'Feline. So anyway, I caught up with Jay Wilson in person last week in Riverside Park. Okay. Uh, Jay Wilson, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. And we're coming to everyone, well, live. We're not live uh, to air, but we're, we are live here in the park. Yeah. So be- uh, before we begin, I want to tell a story. A very small story, but, you know, this is the first live and in-person podcast I've done with somebody, like, here in, like, the same space since about this time two years ago. Um, I was talking to some community members who were concerned about the whole power substation situation in Marco Green Park, and we actually did it in Marco Green Park. Um, but I mean, it's been, I mean, that's the one exception to two and a half years of, 
of not looking somebody in the eye. <laughs> wow, I, I feel honored to, to be live and in, and in person. This is great. It is great. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's that's sort of your craft and trade, and you've been feeling that too because uh, you know you are a storyteller, and that's what you do, and and that is. I mean, we're recording today, and people will be able to download and listen to it as they see fit. But your your art is to tell these stories live and in person to people looking at you in a crowd. Yes, absolutely. And and my background actually is live theater. And when COVID hit, so many of my friends were instantly unemployed and and have been for a long time. Um, I was fortunate in that I was doing these jaywalking tours throughout Guelph, and so I was doing three shows a week in a time when nobody was performing and it was because we were outside and the groups were small and we could keep our distance so I was still able to do what I do and mm-hmm. I felt incredibly fortunate as I said as I was looking around at all of my friends who couldn't do what they do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so how did you get into uh, you, you said you, you were in theater but uh, storytelling is, is more of a one man show <laughs> yes it is it, it, it's a funny word I started saying that I was a storyteller because in fact I tell stories when I started to do a little bit of research though I realized that in fact I'm not a storyteller I'm an actor I memorize and recite things yes there's nuance yes it's different every time I do it depending on who is in my audience um, but at the same time, I come at it from the value of the written word. The text, to me, is everything. And it's my job to lift that text off the page and, and make it come to life. Whereas a storyteller, that's more of an audio, oral tradition of, of telling a story and altering it, depending on the audience and all of those things. But it's not so text-heavy, mm. whereas everything I do is is based on text. So a little... Gee, I hate to say it, but I'm not actually a story guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess that's one of the things I was thinking about, like the distinctions in this. Like, we're all kind of storytellers in our way. We're all at a, you know, we go to parties and we have anecdotes that we tell our groups or friends. And Well, I, I've worked in both amateur theater and professional theater, and you're quite right. I mean, everybody says they're an actor. <laughs> um, but at the same time, well, well, it's true. I mean, teachers are actors, right? They get in, up in front of a classroom and they have to entertain or keep them enthralled true. in some way. So, sure, they are, are actors, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I'm even realizing that I'm a pretty limited actor, especially today. Uh, you know, actors need to be able to, have, to speak fluently in several languages. Otherwise, it just isn't enough work. Um, you have to be able to ride a horse, you have to be able to fence, you have to be able to do all kinds of other things. Um, and yes, you need to be yourself, but you also need to become other people as well. So it's, it takes a lot of effort to be a good actor. Right, because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's even on stage. People think, people think of the stage as kind of a very stolid experience, but it, it can be very energetic. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's a lot going on during a performance. I mean, the energy between actors is incredible. It's like, it's like playing a hockey game. You pass the puck back and forth. Mm-hmm. We all know the rules of the game, mm-hmm. but we're also going to alter it a little bit every time we get out there. And then, of course, like sports, when there's an audience there or something, playing at the home team is much easier than playing right. you know, not at home. Um, so there's so much going on in terms of energy and, and kinetic things happening. Yeah. Are you good at memorizing? Um, I'm reasonably good. <laughs> Some people are incredible. They can, they can do it you know, very, very quickly. Uh, to me, people keep asking me that. What's, what's the trick? 
Uh, the trick is, you know, practice. Just keep doing it. The brain's a muscle, so every time you flex it, it will get stronger. So looking at it this way then, uh, going on a, on a jaywalking uh, excursion today, maybe a better experience than going on a jaywalking excursion three years ago, when maybe you have less practice at a story? Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, particularly if you're a, a one-man show, because you don't have a director. You don't have somebody else saying, you know what, you should change that or do this, or I don't understand what you're doing. You're, you're really self-directing yourself. So you rely on the audience, and you start to see, oh, wait a minute, they don't get this, they don't understand, they're yawning, uh-oh. And yeah, my stories have changed a great deal in terms of what I tell. So some of the things I've thrown out and new things I've brought in, um, it has certainly evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of um, kind of historically based stories. Um, And I think what, given the course of sort of what we've seen happen in the last few years, real life doesn't, we've come to, I think, appreciate more and more that real life does not necessarily unfold the way a really good story does. We don't hit those dramatic beats. Right, yes. <laughs> Like, there's been no firm end to do the pandemic, you know, and, you know, you people see this on TV, too. Like, there are a lot of shows where it's like, hey, remember COVID? And <laughs> right. yeah. it's so, like, you know, it, it's over, and, and here we are still living with it two and a half years later. So, I mean, how do you resolve those issues when you are crafting a story? How does How do you match or or how do you make sure you are creating good drama while at the same time being true to the history Ooh, that's a that's a loaded question (laughs) um yeah i mean yeah you tell us that you've got the the advantage of retrospect right of looking back and and so uh there's all of that whereas when you're in the moment you have no idea which way it's going to go um I, i really don't have an answer to that um it it's funny one of the reasons that I keep going back to storytelling or performing is because the world upsets me so much. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm watching what's going on. I'm watching gun violence. I'm watching war. I'm watching pandemics. I'm watching uh, reactions to these things that I think are toxic and, and all of that. And so sometimes what I like to do is wrap myself in a nice warm blanket of a story where I know how it ends. <laughs> and, and there's some something solid to that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why stories, you know, I think that's why we like them. Is we do know that no matter how awful the story gets, it's just a story. So that brings us some comfort. Comfort too, and uh, even if the story ends badly. Absolutely, yes. I mean, we will judge our life compared to <laughs> how the people in that story, what happened to them. So that brings us comfort. Right, sure. right, right. You ever had, like, a really surprising reaction to one of your stories? Like, something you weren't anticipating? No, I haven't. I think I'm I'm really good at what I do, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say no. Uh, Most of the reactions have have been pretty close. Although, I was doing a a piece of children's theater once, and I had a magic wand in my hand, and this was an outdoor performance, and there was a dog in the audience, and the dog saw the stick in my hand and grabbed the stick and took off with it, and of course, the magic wand was gone. Right. Um, Somehow we coped with that. I don't know what the improv was. I think I was in such shock that that I don't know what happened, but that was probably the most surprising thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. I've never seen that in a Harry Potter movie. No. No, a dog never took his wand. No. (laughs) 
Well, why don't we take a break from questions? So uh, I, I have asked you to prepare a couple of, sto- of of short stories so that, you know, people can get a sense of, of, of what we're talking about here. So why don't you... I'll let you take it away. Start, okay. start however you wish. Yeah, sure. Um, I would like to start with a story. This is something called Strickland Storm. Uh, this is a story that I tell during my Guelph early days walk, which I'm winding those down, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Um, I'll be doing one, actually, with the library very soon. Um, this story is about a tornado from 1829. I had a wonderful experience uh, last Wednesday. We were under a tornado watch, and I knew I would have to tell this story about a tornado. But the reason that I, I like it is that it is essentially a meteorologist's report of something that's already happened. So he's not predicting the weather. He's telling us what has happened with the weather. But in the middle of it, he breaks into poetry. And I really wish that, you know, meteorologists would break into poetry in the middle of their their uh, forecast. So here we go with, with Strickland's storm. The weather for that season of the year had been unusually sultry. The air was hushed to an unnatural stillness only broken by the occasional sound of thunder booming faintly in the distance, which, being nothing at all, attracted but little attention. That morning, all nature seemed in a preternatural repose, until towards ten o'clock, when the sky assumed a most unusual appearance, a leaden cloud overshadowing all, casting to the earth a most sickly pallor. Towards noon, the sky assumed a still more awful appearance, presenting to the view a vast arch of rolling blackness, and an unnamed dread seized on the hearts of all as the clouds gathered thicker and thicker and more threatening in their lowerings. Suddenly they seemed to gather closer, as if concentrating their force to overwhelm one devoted spot, when almost instantly they separated into attached masses, chasing each other through the sky, and then whirling and eddying like the foam in the vortex of a whirlpool. The sight was now grand and awful in the extreme. Let anyone picture to the imagination a vast column of smoke, of inky blackness, reaching from earth to heaven, gyrating with fearful velocity, bright lightnings issuing from its vortex, the roar of the thunder, the rushing of the blast, the crashing of timber, leaves, limbs, trees, mingled with the dust, whirling through the air, through all the sky arise outrageous storms, and death stands threatening in a thousand forms. Clouds charged with loud destruction drown the day, and airy demons in wild whirlwind play. Thick thunderclaps and lightning's livid glare disturb the sky and trouble all the air. In its passage through the town, it unroofed several houses. Fences were leveled to the ground. A frame barn was entirely destroyed. Windows were dashed in, and in one instance, the floor of a log home was carried up through the roof. (laughs) Many hairbreadth escapes occurred, but luckily, no lives were lost. (laughs) So that's Mr. Strickland describing the storm in 1829. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what happens with that storm. There's a number of things that John Galt will do, and uh, it will get him into trouble. And eventually he'll be called back to England, and he'll Mm. be thrown into debtor's prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's an interesting story to that that I'll, I'll get to in a little while. But the storm, in fact, is one of the reasons that John Galt is called back. Because, of course, Guelph is supposed to make money. And yeah. a storm will help you lose money. So 
So poor Galt gets blamed for a tornado, you know. I mean, in terms of the fact that economically, the things aren't going as well as the Canada company had hoped. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> 1829 I mean Guelph's barely here at that point yeah it is um, well, the other interesting thing about this is that uh, I read somewhere that some people were thinking at the time that if you cut down all the trees the sun is actually now going to reach the earth in a different way than it used to mm. and this is going to cause little air currents to start to develop and perhaps tornadoes. So already in 1829, they're thinking climate change. <laughs> like, how yeah. strange is that? Like, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that was the theory, that if you cut down all the trees and all of a sudden the sun hits the ground, you're going to create all this heat right. we haven't had before. I mean, so. it's also why you get uh, tornadoes in like places in the plains where there are no trees. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I wouldn't have called it climate change, but I mean that—that's essentially what it, that's what it what was. That's what they're hinting I, at. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to when we think about the past, we always think people were dumber in the past, but they weren't. It no, was, they weren't. Yeah, no. interesting. Mm -hmm. You ever get hecklers? No, no, <laughs> no, because I'm not a stand-up comedian, so I, I don't very often get people jumping in the middle and and you know challenging me with something. In fact, you know that's another reason that I, I like acting or storytelling as opposed to stand-up comedy i could never do that if somebody heckled me it would just floor me like yeah. <laughs> just like <gasps> i just i don't, i don't know how they do that you know i'm really amazed at, at comedians they're incredible i, I would note as as it, as it said in the big sick uh, a heckle is not necessarily an insult to somebody could good very well like this is awesome and <laughs> that, that, that's true yes yeah. yeah maybe those heckles i get yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, what makes a good story? Oh, boy, what makes a good story? Um, well, again, I go back to text. Mm -hmm. So something that is incredibly well written. Um, obviously, the, the typical rules, right? A beginning, middle, and an end. A good arc. Uh, it's not too long. It's not too short. It's filled with drama. There's got to be good conflict to make a story work. Absolutely. I mean, and these are things we all seem to know, I think. Um, but again, if I go back to that poem that I was just reciting a little while ago, it, you know, the poem is, is, I love it so much, not just because of the words that he uses, but the fact that the word sounds are very similar to what it is he's describing. So, mm. thick thunderclaps. <laughs> you can hear thunder. Thick thunderclaps lightning's livid glare so we get that l l l in a row you know so it's lightning flashing lightning um the the thing about the uh, airy demons in wild world so all of a sudden you get that sort of very airy feeling because he's using that w sound so much wild whirlwind we get this feeling of air so i think something that's incredibly well written uh really helps to, to make a great story and so not necessarily the content but how you deal with the content can turn it into a marvelous story and to, you know you're quoting a poem there that uh, written down no one I, I, I can't imagine that it, it was thought that you know a hundred and almost two hundred years later someone would be getting up on the street corner and reciting that verbatim that it's you know it, it works 
to, to borrow a phrase, it works on many levels. <laughs> yes, it does. You know, I have a funny relationship with poetry. If somebody were to give me a book of poetry, you might as well give me a phone book. I mean, to me, the most boring thing in the world. <clears throat> but that's because I'm trying to read it. Mm. The moment I start saying it out loud, it changes a great deal. And, you know, a really good poem <laughs> can be amazing once it's said out loud. Um, so, you know, again, you've got, you've got to lift it off the page. Uh, to me, anyway, I think poetry isn't meant to just be written and read silently to yourself. Right. It's meant to be spoken. I mean, and that can be said about all sorts of things we deal with in literature. Shakespeare, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, well, this is the most boring thing in the world. But then you see it on a stage, and you see actors saying the lines, and you see the actions between the the monologues and the soliloquies. It's it's kick-ass. Oh, it sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Shakespeare is kick-ass. Well said. Yes, love it. All right, well, how about what makes a bad story? Oh, what makes a bad story? Well, it obviously, if it's boring... You know, if it, if it takes too long, um, if, if nothing happens, if it's dry, if it's dull, I got to keep going back to that boring word. Um, sometimes, though, it also depends on the audience, knowing what story to tell to what people. Mm. You know, sometimes I've, I've got some of the things in, in Guelph early days, and I look at the audience and go, no, I'm not going to tell that one. I'm not going to recite that one. It's not going to work with this group of people. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, the story has to match the audience. The, the audience has to be receptive to hearing the story that you have to tell. Um, so I think, you know, oddly enough, that has a lot to do with it. Hmm. So I guess that's, this means that, you you know, there, there is a certain degree of improv. It's not improv and you're making it up on the spot, but, you, you know, Mondays, Guelph the early years, may not be Wednesdays, Guelph the early years. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I just did one a, a week ago, and there were a couple of stories, and I went, no, I'm not going to tell those ones today. Mm. But there were a couple of stories I went, oh, these would work well with this audience today. So, yeah, sure, there's, there is improv. Mm. There are things going on. There are decisions made um, that affect the performance. Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Guelph was a weird place, right? Like, historically. Yeah. I mean, John Galt was a character. There's the whole urban legend about how the the plans for downtown Guelph were really the plans for, <laughs> for Galt. Um, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, every little corner down in the core has a story. Yeah, the... This place is rich with with stories. There's no doubt about it. And part of the reason for that is that Guelph isn't a community that grows organically. Mm. It doesn't grow the way Hamilton or Toronto by the lakeside grows. Mm. Guelph, rather Guelph, I almost said Guelph. Guelph is, <laughs> is, is a planned community. Right. And so as such, you start to realize that, well, everything happened is a milestone. And every time something happens, somebody's going to write it down. So, you know, I tell stories about the first child born in Guelph, the first wedding in Guelph, the first, the first, the first, because somebody's paying attention went, oh, that's the first. Whereas in a place like Little York or Toronto, hey, wait a minute, a whole bunch of people were born and nobody wrote it down because it was all happening so quickly. Whereas this is planned. Everything's planned. Every moment is planned. Right. Um, so it, it changes. It's a very strange community for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> and still is. Yeah. 
I mean, is it? I mean, it, it's... I think about this. I think about stuff that's happened in my lifetime. Things like you know Gwen Jacobs being the first, you know, setting that uh, precedent, walking around topless as a woman, and making that you know sort of legal and constitutional. Um, it just like we do have occasionally, sometimes historical things happen, but it feels like I don't know. I I, I guess maybe as maybe because I I'm not thinking too deeply about it, but just you know as as I'm sort of. It doesn't feel like anything really cool happened. Like when you when you tell those stories, right? It's like, wow, that's cool. But you know, it, it's just like, have we lost some coolness? Is that is that a genuine concern? I'm, <laughs> you're feeling, I'm feeling. <laughs> no, I think. Well, I don't know coolness, you know, because again, uh, coolness doesn't necessarily make for good stories or right. good history, right? <laughs> um, is is Guelph? quirkier than other places well maybe not i think everywhere is pretty darn quirky these days i think humans are are quirky i guess i'm just thinking like is somebody going to be telling stories about what happened in 2022 in 21 22 (laughs) it's stories from guelph yeah amazing things that happened in guelph yeah um, I think the jury's still out on that. I think <laughs> I think we're going to have to see. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are probably some decisions that have been made, political decisions that have been made, that haven't had a chance to play themselves out yet. Mm. And we'll look back in 50 years and go, that was a really dumb move. <laughs> or that was brilliant. You know, I shouldn't say dumb. That was brilliant. And, you know, too bad the rest of us didn't think of that. I, you know, uh, history, it, it doesn't work until the time's passed. So we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. Mm. Um, but I I think there are some things happening here that are pretty astounding on in both directions astounding good and astounding bad <laughs> and we're just gonna have to have to see what happens all right i won't make you yeah. choose between the two but good. i will ask you to uh, to tell us uh, another story sure um, i'm actually going to take us completely away from guelph nice now. okay and i'm going to tell another story and i would like to give it a little bit of background on the, how this came to me um, this story is written by a woman by the name of Charlene Harold. Uh, she's now passed, um, but she was a great friend of my family. She actually worked for my father, um, but she wasn't an employee. She was, as I said, she was a friend of the family's. And Charlene used to write little skits for, for Galt Little Theater, and she would dabble with writing and, and things like that. Um, but it wasn't until she was retired and became quite a bit older that she decided to write a book. And she wrote a beautiful book called Lilt of Laughter, Trace of Tears. And it's a book that's filled with beautiful Irish tales. Um, (laughs) And these are are monologues. In fact, when I read this book now, I go, oh, there's a beautiful piece of theater in this book. And and I would love to produce it one day. That's my hope. That's why I'm sort of leaving the jaywalking stuff and and moving back into theater to see if I can breathe life into it. Anyway, (laughs) this story was not in the book. It was one that didn't fit in the book. And uh, Charlene used to write to me letters, and this went on for ages. She would write these beautiful long letters, even though you know we didn't, our paths didn't cross at all. And one day, I receive in the mail one of her stories called Francis O'Feline, a beautiful story about a cat, and it's really a children's story. And on the top, she's written to Aaron and Kaylee, the names of my daughters at the time. Charlene never met them, mm. and what I have is her typed copy like her original copy of this she just mailed it to me said oh well it's not in the book you can have it as if she just gave it away and it has become one of my favorite stories and it's a little bit like Gus the theater cat so it's a a charming story about an actor so I that's why I love to tell it 
Um, and my Irish accent is terrible. It sucks. Um, but it's okay, because in this story, there's a perfectly good reason for that. So uh, why don't I tell the story, and, and, and we'll get to that. All right, so here we go with Francis O'Feeline. "'Twas desperate I was. And tis few, I'm thinking, can realize how desperate ye can get, being alone, friendless, and in great need of food and shelter. So I lied. I was sleeping beneath a bit of bush for want of a more comfortable spot when I heard a voice, with a touch of the Irish about it, say, "'Well now, and aren't you asters to throw other looking things after the rain?' Me heart fair leapt from me chest. Every accent known to man I'd been hearing, and all voice owners indicating how willing they were to plant a toe of their boot for me behind. <laughs> the owner of this voice was stepping about her garden, passing a remark to one plant or another, and warning a wee creature she called an aphid to be upon its way and leave her roses be. She sounded friendly enough, even to the aphids. So from under me bush I came. I give a bit of a cough. <clears throat> to warn her of me presence, then swept my cap from off my head and bowing extra low said, The top of the morning to you, my lady, and the cream of the day. Forgive me appearance and for having the presumption to sleep beneath your bush, but twas late when I arrived and me half dead or else I'd tap it upon your door and ask permission to take shelter. She eyed me with a cold, discerning eye, and then said, Well now, Enough of your blarney. Who are ye? What are ye? And what business do ye have loafing beneath me b- bit of Hercidia? And, and, and listening to the bit of conversation I had with me own plants and me own premises? I am, says I, bowing extra low again, Francis O'Feeline, at your service, descendant of the cat kings of Ireland. But lately on me uppers, having been stolen away from the land of my birth and dumped upon this beautiful but foreign shore to shift as best I can for myself. <laughs> she says, the cat kings of Ireland, is it? <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't a dark alley in a Dublin slum? <laughs> oh, lately, my lady, it's been just that. For you see, by profession, I'm an actor. But tis few roles there are, even in the grand theatres of Dublin, for a portly orange-coloured cat. <laughs> she says, tis few roles enough anywhere, I judge. <laughs> but come ye in for a wash-up and a bite. I don't believe in starving a creature that's beneath my bo- doorstep, or under my forsythia, for that matter. <laughs> and you're a sight to behold what with the bandages about. Wait a bit. You're not one of them scrapping kind, are ye? For it's little use I have for a cat, it's always into a fight. I assured her of my gentle behavior. Not a paw would I raise against another. And into the house we went. It was more than a lick and a promise she had by way of a wash-me-up she had in mind. Twas into that great lake of a tub for a real rubby-dub scrub. Then new bandages about my ear and tail. But of the breakfast lay before me. Bacon and eggs. Toast with jam. The tea laced with cream a fine glass of port (laughs) now being an actor I drunk a few ports in my time but that was a fine big glass (laughs) I gave the performance of me life to gain her sympathy told tales of me kittenhood that brought tears to me own eyes let alone a kind lady like herself the back alleys of Dublin where I told her I growed became slummier with the telling (laughs) rats why we lived on them did they not live on us first disease every disease known to man or beast and some yet to be discovered beatings oh scarce a bone in my body remained unbroken and the scars to my soul I leave you to guess 
but I laid it on too thick. <laughs> I got carried away in the role. Oh, chest beating and paw ringing might get you far in old-time melodrama, but it did nothing for my chances with herself. In the end, I was forced to give up my role as an Irish immigrant and confess to being just a lost, lonely cat. <laughs> Canadian, born and bred. But with a flair for an accent, herself, and I do think of her as herself, took me in. After a lengthy discussion as to whether tub baths were needful for cats, she for, me against. In the end, we compromised. Into the tub, port at dinner. <laughs> Otherwise, tea only. The tub and I are well acquainted. I find myself ending the day lolled back, soaking blissfully, contemplating dinner. She's not above reminding me of the terrible lies I told her, although it seems I'm forgiven. But I haven't forgiven myself. But if I hadn't lied, if I hadn't amused her with wild falsehoods, would I be here today? Salmon on scones for tea and me grown more portly and contented? Not likely. Not likely at all. And that's Francis Opheline, <laughs> the orange-colored cat. How often do you do voices? Oh, quite often. Quite often? Yes, quite often, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's the fun part. And that's what I love about Charlene's stuff, is that there are multiple characters, but one person saying them all. Mm. And so you get to do the voices, which is, is great fun, <laughs> yes. It's what you do, are, are you worried that what you do is a, is a lost art? A little bit. Um, you know, with technology, um, live performances are, to me, always so much better than anything recorded. We learned that during COVID-19. I tried doing some Zoom stuff. First of all, as a performer, you get no reaction. Mm -hmm. So it's the strangest thing in the world. Um, you have no idea how you're doing. All of what you do is based on the reactions you're getting from people. And when you don't get it, you have no idea. It's, it feels like you're bombing. Um, but at the same time, there's something about a live voice, even, that is different than a recorded voice. And I don't know what it is. Um, and I remember even in the days, my mother used to teach child drama. And I remember she would go around, she'd ask the kids, you know, let's think up some stories and things. And they would start, you know, thinking of some stories. And the next thing you know, some kid would be telling a story about something they'd seen on TV. And she went, oh, darn it, you know, it's it's crushing their imaginations um, that's the way she felt about it and I think that we have to be very leery of the technology I mean it does wonderful things for sure but at the same time let's not forget our perspective let's not forget that a live story face to face is an incredible human experience and we've got to be sure that we don't lose those it's funny the you don't want to be one of those people like, boo, technology, bad. But, I mean, we, we also live in a world where uh, there's there's an app where you can log on and watch somebody play video games. And that's that's an afternoon. Great. Talking to somebody who's playing a video game and watching them play that video game. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's so funny. Like, you don't want to sound like the old fart, you know, that it's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Piss your 
afternoon away yeah, watching waste your life away. play Halo. Yeah, or something. yeah. yeah. I, I know. And very often, you know, I, I sound like an old fart. Like that's exactly it. I, I feel sometimes that I'm going, oh, gee whiz, you know, I'm sounding like my parents more and more. You know, this is terrible. I remember when you know that street wasn't there and all those kinds of things that they used to say. And I go, yeah, yeah, whatever, mom. You know, things used to cost a nickel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to be leery. Um, again, I had mentioned earlier, you know, that one of the reasons that I went back to storytelling or I, I embraced storytelling is it, it's like wrapping myself in a warm blanket. Maybe I am escaping the awful world and I'm in denial or whatever. But I was finding that one of the things about having my own business, for example, was I had to spend a lot of time on social media. Mm. So I had to use Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that and have to keep talking it up and all that. And it's a wonderful tool because you can reach lots of people. And yes, I made lots of sales as a result of that technology and I didn't have to invest any money in it. So it was great. It was the cheapest marketing in the world. But at the same time, I kept reading people's comments about other stories. I kept getting pulled into areas that I didn't want to be pulled into. Mm. And in fact, what I've done is I've, I've shut that down for me because I found it was getting incredibly toxic. Commenting is such a waste of time. Nobody's really adding something of value mm. to what's being said in mm. the news, Adam Donaldson, right? You must mm -hmm. be aware of this. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, instant reaction. And even me, I mean, I was guilty of it. I would be one of those commenters and I'd be like, that's terrible. That and I go, and then I feel horribly embarrassed and go back and try and delete it because I felt ashamed of what I'd said. And I went, what's going on? What am I doing? Um, and again, it's because we've got that distance. We're not face to face. I understand somebody else's perspective much better right. when they tell me in person why they see what they see. That yeah. makes a huge difference. And because you have an immediate back and forth too. Like we're having yeah. like this cover and you know, we could be having it on Zoom grant and still be having this kind of back and forth. But you know, you write something on Twitter. I comment on it three hours later, then you see it maybe six hours after that. Sure, sure. And, you know, I've had six hours to stew, whether that's a, a positive stew where I'm rethinking <laughs> what I said or or a, a negative stew where I'm rethinking, like, maybe I shouldn't have been so mean to Jay in the first place. Right, right. And, and sometimes a comment comes out of something that has nothing to do with what you're actually commenting about. Yeah. It, it's an emotion that you've been carrying all day. Yeah. And suddenly Adam Donaldson's my target. That's right. Because he said something that has sparked it. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess... Um, you know what's next? You you said you're you're winding down some of the jaywalking stuff and looking to new projects. Yeah, I am. I mean, I I will continue to do jaywalking if somebody gets a hold of me and says, "Yeah, I've got five people. That's my minimum. Five people, and they want to go on a walk and they want to hear the William Harvey story about the unfortunate man or something." I'll gladly do that. Um, but at the same time. As I said, the social media stuff was getting to me, and so I had to turn off my marketing. And once I turned off my marketing, I went, it's going to be darn hard to get <laughs> people out to, to watch me. Um, and then, as I said, I got intrigued by these stories by Charlene Harold, and I'd really like to do something. I think it'd be a wonderful two-hander. One guy, one girl, lovely evening of theater, add a little bit of Irish music to, to you know go from scene to scene. Um, and away we go. So, if, you know, if there's a sugar daddy or sugar mama out there who wants to sponsor <laughs> some, some live theater, uh, you know, give me a call. Um, and I'm looking for an actress, too, somebody who can, can do this stuff. Um, but I'm in no hurry. You know, I'm, I'm retired now, so I can allow myself time. Whereas before, 
every, every project I did had to make money. When I had a right. puppet company, it had to make money. I had to do it. Whereas now I can breathe a little bit more. So it, it's a really wonderful time. Getting old's wonderful, everybody. Just, <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of stories, I was talking to somebody yesterday who is uh, retired and then uh, has taken on numerous projects since and is now talking about uh, retiring from his post-retirement projects. So, yeah. Uh, some people are never finished. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I just watched a, a documentary about Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a printer, right? operated a printing press, and then retired at age 40-something because he had made quite a bit of money. And that's when he started doing all his scientific experiments and his political work and all of the other stuff he did. So while he retired from his job, you certainly don't retire from life. Yeah. Yeah. Great place to end it on, but uh, Jay Wilson, thank you so much for your time and for your stories. It's it's much appreciated. Thank you, Adam. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And once again, that was Jay Wilson. To learn more about jaywalking or to book a private show for your event, you can visit Jay's website at jaywalkguelph. That is J W A L K Guelph. dot blogspot. dot com. It's not too late to still get on the waitlist for the Guelph Early Days performances at the Guelph Public Library on August 16th, and you can find that link there. And in a last-minute publisher's note here, in case it wasn't clear at the top of the show, we will be airing repeats for the next two weeks here on the Guelph Politicast, but there will be a new episode again on August 31st. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can do that by going to guelphpolitico.ca slash donate and following the links there. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.